Well, welcome again at Connection Point Church. I'm excited. I'm back here live in studio. I've even got some studio uh, guests, so y'all give a holler. Yay. So it is nice to be back. I'm feeling 100% healthy, so thank y'all very much for your prayers and, and all that uh, your support. We've even got some uh, food sh- shipped to our house over the last few uh, weeks. We even got some peach cobbler sent to our house, so thanks for taking care of us uh, well. So we're continuing this series called uh, 2020, and this series, it's just a two-week series that we just really wanted to take uh, just a few, mo- a few moments, really, and, and discuss what some of the things we've been learning during the last few months, during the pandemic, during the year 2020, during the racial tension, the political strife that we've seen. One of the things that are a couple of things that have happened is we've stepped back as a church and as leaders in the church, we've looked and said, you know what, there are some things we could be doing better or clearer now that we see what happens in a pandemic. Because not only do we have the racial tensions, the political tensions, not only do we have a pandemic, but on top of that, life is still happening to us. And so there are, there are places where as a church, we've just decided, you know, what, we could be a little more clear. And so last week we talked about a new priority. Uh, we added a priority to our church, which is kind of like our values, and that's a big deal. We, we said, you know, there's so much uh, talk about fake news. There's so much discussion about um, what is real, what can I believe, this and that. And so we said we are going to prioritize God's word over our word. In other words, we are going to anchor truth to the word of God, and we are going to know what we can trust in this church rather than just my opinion. We're going to challenge each other with, can you show me that in scripture? And we're going to anchor truth to God's word. Today, I want to talk to you about another thing that we've learned over the past few weeks, and that is how we care for one another, how we invest in each other. If you were to ask me over the last 10 years, you know, what is uh, kind of our idea of church? We would say we're a church that uh, we love good preaching. Amen. Give me some hearts on the amens there. Yeah. Uh, We love good preaching. We love good music. And we've got small groups. We're kind of a church with small groups. But over the course of the pandemic, one of the things that God has been teaching us is that we need to have a stronger identity in our groups. And that is instead of being a church with small groups, We want to be a church of small groups, and there's a difference when we word it that way. If it's a church with small groups, it's kind of optional. It's kind of, if I need it, I'll go, but I don't have to. We're just a church that offers small groups. But when you're a church of small groups, that's the identity of the the church. We want to be a church that is invested in our groups because if we are committed to groups, we've seen over the past few weeks and months that the people that are committed into the groups are more likely to grow spiritually, more likely to be cared for and be even in the midst of of challenging times, be a little more optimistic because they've got a support system around them. And so this idea today, I want to talk to you about the power of groups. And we're going to use an unusual text. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. I'll get to it in just a second. But I, I was thinking about my experience in groups growing up. You know, one of the first small groups, or we call them connect groups, that I was ever a part of was when I was in high school, I was at camp. And it was me and uh, other high school boys. We were real mature for our age, let me tell you. And we had this camp counselor, and he, after just getting us together for the week, 
he said, hey, we're going to start confessing to one another. And he kind of said, I'll go first. And he began to just kind of tell us some of the struggles that he had. And me and my friends began to look at each other and think, this is the most awkward, bizarre situation. And when it came to each of us, we had to make up a sin that was not a real sin we were struggling with, but it was kind of a sin that we might struggle with. And it was so... uh, I would say fake. It was not, as our values say, we value authentic over artificial. It was artificial. It was us. Let's get out of this situation. I'm sure you've been in, uh, in groups like that where somebody is ready to share and you're like, whoa, I don't know that I'm, I'm to that place yet. But a few years later, I got into to college and I got around some of my uh, good friends. In fact, I pledged a Christian fraternity called Bucks, Brothers Under Christ. And when we were there, A few of us just started meeting every week. wasn't meant to be an accountability or anything like that, but just one day I remember them. We were circling around. We were in the Bible. We were praying for one another, and and a guy just began confessing. He says, "You know, I'm struggling with this, and it's very, very difficult." Uh, And I don't know. And one by one, uh, these guys just started confessing. And I will tell you, I saw more healing and more direction in my life. In my early college years, it really sent me into the ministry. And a lot of that was because I had this group of of guys that were not just with me, they were invested in my spiritual walk. They were invested in my holiness. It mattered to them. It wasn't a judgy, I can't believe you did that. It was, hey, we're in this together, but I am invested in your holiness. And so today we're going to look at a story in the Bible you've probably heard or read many times, but yet you've probably never thought it in the context of connect groups or small groups. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel. And by the way, I'm going to be preaching all the way through Genesis in the beginning of next year. We're going to start Genesis. And so you're going to get a double dose. You'll hit Cain and Abel again. Today, I'm only going to focus really on this idea of how God sharpens Cain and Abel and the relationship between them. So let's go ahead and, and look at chapter or verse 1, chapter 4. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and by the way, wink, wink, we know what knew means in the Bible. He knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The, uh, The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now, what's happening here is there is a church service going on. Cain, Abel, and the Lord. And the Lord is there in person in this story. And so there is a a church service in which Cain and Abel are both bringing offerings. They they never come to church empty-handed. It's not just about, God, what can you do to me? They go and say, God, we want to bring you our best. Or at least Abel came and said, God, I'm going to bring you my best. And I just want to point out that One of the kind of conundrums of growing spiritually is if you want to grow personally in your walk with Jesus, you have to be with other people. You see that 
in every church service in the Bible, you'll see even here we have Cain and Abel and the Lord. And the Lord is there in friendship and in fellowship with them. And so Cain brings uh, his offering. It's, it's from the ground. It's a grain offering. That's a legit offering. And then Abel brings his. It's uh, a fattened calf probably. It's, it's uh, part of his sheep, part of his flock. And so we don't know exactly what the, the problem was with Cain's offering. The author isn't really trying to tell us that. But we do know that Abel brought a fattened portion, which means he brought the best portion he had, and he also brought the first of his flock. And so uh, a lot of times when we look at how somebody gives to the church or gives to charity, that tells us a lot about their walk with God. And so we see that there was something about Cain's offering that caused God, as a friend of Cain, to say, you know what, I need to move forward in this. I need to, I, I can't let this just go on. I need to address this. And so I want to just, before we even get in, um, further on, I want us to see that Cain is not evil the way that we usually think. In fact, in this story, if we were going to put ourselves in the story, you and I would be Cain. We always put ourselves probably in Abel's, uh, you know, kind of in his spot. Some of these even name our kids Abel. Um, but anyway... Uh, I'm sorry, Ashley's over here and she's distracting me. She's so distracting over here. I'm trying to preach and she's so as uh, so so God brings God is there and there's this fellowship going on. But God says there's something with the way that Cain brought his able to uh, brought his offering that he says I've got to address this. And what I want you to pay attention for the rest of this sermon is pay attention to God's attitude towards Cain. Because most of us see Cain as this evil murderer because he commits the first murder we're about to get to. But I want you to see how God is invested in the holiness and in the spiritual journey of Cain. It says Cain in verse 5, it says, Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, God is going to begin asking questions, and this is a great way to invest in somebody else's spiritual journey and somebody else's faith. A great way to do that is to simply walk with them by asking questions. The first thing that Cain says, or, or that happens, is the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? It's It's very telling that God is so much invested in the relationship. This isn't the first time they've seen or met each other. And God is around Cain. He knows Cain, so he sees there's something different in your countenance when you came, when you came to church today. There's something different the way you came today. And because of that, Cain, I, I want to know why you're angry. What's going on? See, God is asking a confronting question to Cain. So the first thing I just want to ask you is, in your life, who have you given permission to, to ask hard questions? Who have I given permission to ask me hard questions? Because God, God is, he comes as kind of an example of who we could be. And he asked Cain, hey, listen, I got a hard question to ask you. There's something wrong with your attitude when you came to me in, in, in that church service. There's something wrong. And he asked him a hard question. And then he says to him in verse 7, he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
And what he's doing here is he's giving some advice to Cain. He's saying, listen, you're, you're mad at Abel. You, I can see the frustration because his offering was the best. It was what he should have brought. And, and there was something wrong with the way you brought this offering. Your heart wasn't right in it. And, and you don't have to compare yourself to your brother Abel. You're not under his shadow. I'm not looking for you to, to best your brother. I want this relationship between. And he's giving good advice to Cain. I want you to just think about that, the fact that God is... He's approaching, nothing wrong has happened yet, and he's already confronting him with some challenging questions, trying to protect him by asking these questions. And then he's giving him some good advice. He's trying to steer him away from the direction he's going and saying, listen, your heart is wrong, but, but you don't have to be like Abel. I just want this relationship with you. And the, the next that question would be, is who in your life have you given permission to give you godly advice or to give, who have I given permission to give me advice? You know, some of us, we never really and truly appreciate godly advice, especially from people that are trying to help us because we've not spent the time building that relationship and really being clear that, hey, I give you permission to invest in my spiritual journey and I will do the same in yours. But yet you see this with Cain and God. God has a relationship with Cain and he's trying, he loves him, he's trying to steer him. He says, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It desire, its desire is contrary to you. It's not who I made you, is what God says. You must rule over it. Now he's really getting into Cain's business. He, he's, he's confronting Cain. He says, listen, sin, you're about to sin. I can see it in your heart, the direction you're going. I, I really want to challenge you on this, Cain. I don't think your heart is right. I don't think you're about to make a wise decision. And, and, and God confronts him. He challenges Cain with a hard question that, that really it potentially can drive a wedge between the friendship that, that God has with Cain. But yet the Lord is willing to risk this. He is willing to say, I care so much. I'm so invested in Cain that I'm willing to even risk my relationship with him. I think my relationship is strong enough with him. I put enough into it that I'm going to challenge him and confront him. And he's warning him, you've got to take this serious. So here's a strong question that we see. Ask yourself, who has permission in my life to call out my sin? Who in my life has permission to call out sin that I'm not going to get defensive? I'm not going to say, who are you? You know, you did this. We get into that phrase that we hear a lot, what aboutism? You know, you call out my sin and I can probably think of something about you. But instead, God has this heart where he simply says, hey, I see the direction you're going. It's, it looks like you're headed towards sin. I want to steer you clear. Who in your life are you giving permission to call out and challenge your sin. In fact, the next verse is the first murder in the, in the Bible, and we know it's a long legacy of murder has, has come from this. It says, Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. You know, what's interesting when I was reading this is I just thought about what could have been. You know, had God, so God intervened before the sin uh, uh, that, that Cain commits. And, and we need to understand that, that, that God wasn't just waiting for Cain to screw up. He was invested the whole time. And then at any point after confronting Cain, 
Cain could have turned around to the Lord and said, you know what, you're right. I'm heading in the wrong direction. Cain could have confessed. You know, if he would have confessed to, to God in that moment, do you realize the, the direction of Cain's life would have changed greatly? Had he said, before he got found out, before he decided to, to go that direction, has he said, you know what, God, you're right. I thank you for asking these challenging questions. And if he would have humbly stood, um, stood back instead of getting defensive, instead of think, playing the victim and said, you know what, my heart isn't right with the way I brought that offering. My heart isn't right with my brother. My heart isn't right. If he would have confessed these things, imagine how that changes the course of history for Cain and for Abel. It would have made a huge difference. Who in your life do you give permission to confess to? Who can you confess to and find restoration? And those things have to go together. Who can you confess to? And you know if you confess to them, they're not going to be all judgy. They're not going to tell you how bad you are instead. They're so invested in your spiritual walk that if you confess to them, even a sin that you've been struggling and are embarrassed by, that you would instead find a path towards restoration. I just, I, I read this and I think, man, if Cain would have just seen what God was offering. I think about when I was in high school, this idea of confessing. You know, confessing is basically repenting before you sin. That's what, that's what confession is. Just repenting before you sin. When I was in uh, college, actually, I, I took economics, which was uh, probably one of the worst decisions I ever made as far as choosing courses, but there are a long list of, of courses I should not have chosen. And I'm in economics, and I have failed every test, and there are three major tests, and I failed the first two, and I studied for them. I went to all the, the teacher assistants. I went to all of the tutorials, and finally, I go into the professor. I schedule a time with him. His name was Vince Gerasi. I, I have not forgotten this guy's name in over 20 years because of this moment. I went to him and I just sat down and I talked with him and I said, listen, I have studied every day in your class. I've read everything you've told me to do. I have, I have worked to try to get this, but I don't understand a clue of what is going on in this class. And he told me a story about his son, who his son was good at music and his son was not, he, he was this professor of economics and he said, my son cannot pass an economics class. And then he looked at me and he said, maybe you're a musician. And I was thinking to myself, well, I'm not a musician, but I'm certainly not an economist either. And he said something. He said, listen, if you would have come to me next week, there would be nothing I could do. I couldn't do anything because the test is, it was, the test was like two days away. But he said, because you've come before this test, Here's what I'm going to do. And he takes out a piece of paper. He signs this piece of paper. And understand, we're two-thirds or three-fourths of the way through the semester. And he says, I'm going to allow you to drop my class. I'm going to allow you to drop it or go, I'm going to give it to you pass-fail. And I'm just going to say you passed the class. You won't get a grade for it. You can't, it, but you didn't fail it. I took that piece of paper so fast and went to the registrar's office. I, I mean, it was great. But I'll just never forget, he told me, had I not come to him before the test, had I waited until afterwards, and then he said he wouldn't have listened because I would have failed all of the tests. And so it just reminds me, when it comes to our sin, it's always better to, conf to confess before. Even if you've already committed the sin, even if you've always struggled, it's always better to confess a sin 
than to try to hide it. Here at Connection Point, we call that. You've heard me talk about it, the last 2%. We want to make sure that even the hard parts of our life, we can confess this because we want to find people that have this heart of restoration. We want to be a church that has a heart of restoration. Now, as we continue through this story, I want to, um, to show you something very interesting. And that is how after uh, Cain sins, after he has committed a horrible act, how God is still invested in this relationship. It says, the, then the Lord came to Cain and said, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, maybe you've joked around and said, am I my brother's keeper? And there's this idea from the story that Cain's answer is no. It's not my responsibility. I'm not his. Uh, he's not, you know, my responsibility. But I want you to see verse 10 says, the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. In other words, God already knows his sin. But there's also in that answer, what have you done? It answers the question of, am I my brother's keeper? The implication here is that God is looking at Cain and says, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, I should be able to come to you and say, hey, where is your brother? How is he doing? But instead, Cain is defensive, whereas God is saying, listen, you should be invested in the spiritual journey of your brother. So here's the question. Whose spiritual journey are you invested in? Whose spiritual journey am I invested in? If you're trying to follow God, if you're trying to walk with God, you need to understand part of what you're supposed to be doing, part of what makes a church strong is that we are invested, not just in, in showing up, but in the spiritual journey. It's to my advantage that Seth and Stacy grow spiritually, that Ashley grows spiritually, that Joey grows spiritually. It's to my advantage that I, that I pour into them and I can confront them and I help them to stay holy and they do the same for me. It's, it's to our advantage when we pursue God, when we want to go from where we are to where God wants us to, us to be. It's to our advantage that we have people who are invested in the journey, invested in us getting there. And so we see that. And I just want to ask you, who in this church are you invested not just in are they okay, but I want to make sure they are growing spiritually. It says, your, bro your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And then he, he's going to give, he's going to act as, as God. He's going to give this uh, punishment. He says, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer um, yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. He's going to be a wanderer. Now, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, we read that if you uh, commit manslaughter, if you accidentally kill someone, they have what's called city of refuge. You can go to a city, some other place that's far from the family of the person you accidentally killed, and you can find peace. You can find refuse refuge. But here he murdered someone and he is not allowed to go to a city of refuge. And so he is going to have to wander by himself. So this is what he says. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And I want to stop us right here because I think this is one of the, the rare thing, places in the Bible where the ESV, I think, translates this wrong. See, the word in Hebrew, avon, it actually can mean guilt or sin as well. 
And what I think is going on here is I don't think that Cain is complaining about his punishment. What I think he is complaining about is that he has guilt of his sin that is crushing him. It is pushing down on him and he cannot bear the weight of his sin. I think this is actually a... uh, an early glimpse of what Jesus is going to do for us. And the reason I say that is because if you go on and look at what Cain says, this is what he says, Behold, you have driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer to the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now you may be asking, by the way, who's going to find him? Isn't it just Adam and Eve? Cain? We're going to talk about that in January, so you'll have to come back then. But Cain here repents, and I want you to see this. He has a heart of repentance. He has finally acknowledged, I've done something. I've sinned against my brother, I've sinned against man, and I've sinned against God. And it's God. My sin has put a barrier between me and God. I cannot see his face anymore. And this is what we call the gospel, the good news. When we talk about Jesus, it's the fact that Jesus died and he paid for the sin, even murder, when we come to God and say, God, you are our salvation. We find forgiveness in God. And that's exactly what God does for Cain. He forgives him. I want to show you this. He says, listen, if I wonder, somebody's going to kill me. I'm going to, I'm going to die for this. And God says in verse 15, the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. In other words, God says, I'm going to protect him. Even though he's a sinner, even though he, he did what I, I warned him not to do, I'm going to protect him. I love him. I'm still in a relationship because he has repented. He has, he has shot me in this relationship. And so not only am I going to forgive his sin and kill let him live, but I'm also going to protect him. And the Lord put on, put a mark on Cain and whoever found him uh, so that no one who found him would attack him. This mark of Cain, that's something that you've got to understand because of G- there's a lot of symbolism, I think, in this. Uh, over the course of the last few thousand years, there's been a lot of people who have tried to, do, to determine what is the mark of Cain. I read a lot of, uh, when I was researching this, I read some uh, commentaries from Jewish rabbis that were before Christ. And it's funny, some of them thought that God put horns on Cain so that he will walk around and you would know, don't mess with that dude. Some people think it was a, maybe a face tattoo, a Mike Tyson or something like that. Or I guess now it would be a Post Malone. But <laughs> Maybe it was something like that, so they thought. And, and then my favorite uh, speculation was somebody said maybe it was a dog. There was a Jewish rabbi that taught he had this big old dog that would follow him around so that you wouldn't mess with him. We don't know what the mark was, but we know it's, it's a sign that God said, I'm going to protect you and I forgive you. It was that sign of forgiveness, of protection for God. And then it says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The last thing I want to teach us is this. These two phrases, the land of Nod, east of Eden, have meaning. The land of Nod is, uh, it's actually, it's a reference. Nod comes from the root word wanderer, wandering. So it says he settled down, but we were told he's going to have to wander he actually, he begins to just be a nomad in this, in this land of Nod. The land of wandering is where he is kind of banished to. And then it's going to be east of Eden. That's the same direction that God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden. Whenever we see that east of Eden, it refers to us being shunned from the presence of God. And what I want to remind us 
is that you and I still live east of Eden. We have still been removed from the garden. Our sin has separated us from God. And yes, God has begun to restore us through Jesus Christ. He's given us this promise that someday we're going to be restored to to the holy city. Just as we were removed from a garden, we will return to a city. God is doing a work. But right now, we are all wanderers waiting for the time when God is going to fully restore us through Jesus Christ. And I just want to have this last question as we wonder, and some of you may feel like you've been a wanderer for the last few months as we've gone through this pandemic. It seems crazy. It seems like, how am I supposed to navigate this? You see, what I love about this story is that God doesn't leave Cain just because he sinned. He confronted him and tried to walk with him to avoid this punishment, to avoid these consequences. But after it happened, he stayed with him and he protected him. And and I just want to ask you, who is going to walk with you on your hardest days? Who do you have that will walk with you in your hardest days? When you're east of Eden, when you're in the land of Nod, maybe you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. Who are you? Who is going to walk with you? That's the beauty of a church, is that we have committed to one another. When we talk about being members of a church, it's not that we sign a paper to an institution. It's that we commit to other members and say, you know what? I'm invested in your spiritual journey. On your hardest days, I'm going to walk with you. That's what it means to be a church of small groups. So my challenge to us is this. Not only do we need to be, or do we need people to walk with us on our hardest days, we need to be spiritually invested in people. And at Connection Point Church, whether you realize it or not, our connect groups are not just here to to care for you and make sure that you're taken care of physically, but it's also we want to be invested in your spiritual journey, we want to be making sure that even if we can't meet physically as a church, that somebody is challenging you. Are you in the word? Are you approaching God right? How is your heart? Hey, I see a direction you're going. Maybe, maybe we need to rethink this. And, and, and you've given permission to call out uh, for people to call out sin and to walk with you and give you good advice. And the place that we've designed that is the connect groups in our church. Now, they may not be the place that you have to confess every single. You might have a brother or sister in Christ where your last 2%, you you go specifically to that one or two um, people that you know they're going to walk with you. But for most of us, and most of the time, every single week, we should be challenged spiritually. We should have somebody, you should should be looking at the people in your connect group and saying, you know what, I want to make sure that they are growing in their faith with Jesus, that they are growing in their walk with God. I want to invest in their holiness. You know, as I look at all of y'all's uh, uh, joining us online, I'm, I'm so thankful, first of all, for the comments and stuff. But I want to challenge us, just as we communicate during a sermon, every single week after the sermon, we meet um, on, in Zoom meetings, our connect groups do, and it's an opportunity for us to say, hey, how are you doing spiritually? So my hope for us as we continue this, uh, this um, progress, this path of a church of connect groups, is that you're going to begin to see a higher investment in your spiritual journey. In fact, Ashley Green, who you'll see in just a moment, she is uh, taking over the leadership of our connect groups, and I really am excited. I'm not just the idea that we can care for you better, but that you are going to be invested in others as well. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for the lessons we have learned during this pandemic. As you have protected and watched over and taught us, Lord, I thank you so much for the church we are becoming even through this process of a struggle and challenges. So Lord, I pray going forward that whenever uh, we have people that, that are thinking, should I be in a group? Instead of saying, should I be in a group? Hey, how can I find a group soon? And when we think about, should I go to connect? Do I want to go to my connect group tonight? Instead, I think, I, I, I pray for a motivation of, you know what? I need to be at group tonight because I am invested in the spiritual journey of my group. I want to make sure that everyone in my group is walking with Jesus. And even if I'm okay, I want to make sure they're okay. So Lord, I just pray for the members and the, and the tenders of Connection Point Church that we will see the value that you have put in others. And you modeled it for us in one of the first church services ever with Cain and Abel and you. Lord, I pray that just as you loved Cain, that we will love one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.